Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today, Acts chapter 2, and uh, I'm excited tonight that we have, as you've heard already, the Keck family, our missionaries to Papua New Guinea coming. Uh, I've been to Papua New Guinea, never exactly to where the Kecks serve, and that is a real live mission field. I mean, they are living off-grid, way out in the boonies, and frankly, uh, every culture, I think, has many great aspects, and there, there's a depth and a richness to the culture in that country. I was terrified the entire time I was there, okay? And they live in the midst of this. Now, I, wanna, I want everybody to look up here for a minute. I know I just asked you to turn. Uh, when I was a boy, our family moved to Korea, and for a time, uh, our family was involved in missions work. And there was a question that plagued our minds while there. We wondered if anybody cared or remembered us or thought of us. And sadly, we learned in a lot of the case, no, they didn't care. Now, praise God for those who did. I'm not griping today. But something happened on the inside of me where I decided, you know, we're going to be a church that's going to be a part of God's work. I often say missions is not to be a part of what we do around here. It's to be everything we do. We've got a family who's been on the front lines, forward deployed, and we have an opportunity tonight to bless them by being here. And uh, I hope that you'll come. Now, listen, I, I've known the Keck family for years. We don't support them for this reason, but I learned that uh, Vertikeck. My mom led her to the Lord when she was a little girl and uh, learned that after, after the fact. But uh, I, I've known these people for years, and their goal tonight is to be a blessing to you. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the evening. It's going to be great to have them here and to hear a little bit about uh, what God's done through them. It's really amazing, and uh, so it's going to be a great a great, great time, all right? Now, most of you know we started a new teaching series last week. I'm very excited about it. We've called it The Church Alive. And what we're doing is we're taking some highlights found in the New Testament book of Acts that shares with us uh, the Acts of the Apostles, how the church really was started by Christ and how it began. And uh, it's wonderful to think of the incredible gift that God has given to us. And we call this gift the New Testament local church. And there is a truth about the church that is massive for our understanding. In fact, there is a truth about the church that if we miss, we'll miss the joy that God intends for us to have as it relates to a church family. You need to know today that God did not create us for the church. It's not like there was a church and God created us to have people who'd have to come to it and have to do things in it and, and give to support and all of these things. No, 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 no. I want you to know that God did not create us for the church. He created the church for us. In other words, he saw us and anticipated the needs we'd have for friendship and closeness and purpose. And, and he created an organism unlike any other in all of the world. And it's our joy and privilege to enter into this beautiful gift called the local church that God in his heart of love for you and for me created for us to enjoy. I love the church today. And I love it because our Lord and Savior literally gave his all to establish it. The book of Acts chapter 20 the Bible tells us of the church of God, it says, which Jesus hath purchased with his own blood. I don't see any way you can love Jesus and not love the church, for he gave his blood in the establishment of the church. On another occasion, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I love to remind myself, and I'll remind our church today, he didn't say, I'll build your church. 
He didn't say, you'll build my church. He said, it's my church and I'll build it. He just loves us enough to let us participate with him in that work. And he added in that verse that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I love the church because uh, our Lord and Savior literally gave his life to establish it. I love the church because collectively we make up the body of Jesus Christ in our world today. 1 Corinthians 12 says, now you all are the body of Christ and members in particular. And there's a place for every single one of us to plug into what God is doing in our church family. There's something for all of us to do. I love the church today, thirdly, because we, the church family, we've been called the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Now, the word picture used there was something that people should have easily identified. If you're a husband, you know that you're to be provider, you're to be protector, you're to be kind and loving and generous. Can some of the ladies say amen today? right preaching to the husbands and we get this beautiful picture and the bible says that we're the bride of christ in ephesians 5 the bible says husbands love your wives you know even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it i love the church also today because it's the place where we gather to be taught to be encouraged to be organized to carry out the work of god in our world speaking to pastors paul in, it was inspired of God to write in Ephesians 4 and verse 12 that pastors are to be about perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we learned last week by way of example from the first Christians in the book of Acts that they were a witnessing church. And that was the last command Jesus gave them. He said, you shall be witnesses. Last, last words they got from Jesus Christ. You shall be witnesses. And the last words of Jesus made up the first concern of the church. They were a witness of who Jesus is and what he had done. It was their hope that everybody in their part of the world would hear a gospel presentation to know who Jesus is. And today in our study, I'd like for us to see that a church that is alive is not only a witnessing church, we're going to see today, it's a worshiping church. And uh, I want us to be helped. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing today uh, as we read this passage together. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin our reading uh, in verse 41. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I'm going to read on, but I can't get through that verse without taking out the ecclesiology from it. That word ecclesiology speaks to the doctrine of the church. There was a group that gladly received his word. Now, what was his word? We won't take the time to read it, but Peter, the apostle, had just preached the gospel. And there were people, they received it. They became Christians. Their first response after trusting Jesus as their Savior was to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. As you've heard me say many times, baptism does not save us any more than this ring makes me married. But this ring is a picture of the fact that I'm married. And baptism is a picture that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies us with Christ 
and it associates us with others who also believe in Christ. And then it says they were added unto them. Who's them? Well, the only them that were present at that time were the 120 who were in the upper room with Christ shortly before he ascended back to heaven. And so when they trusted Jesus as their Savior, they followed the Lord and believers' baptism, and immediately they entered into fellowship with the local church. God's desire for every Christian is that we would have a church family that we call our own. All right? Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want you to think of two words found in the very beginning of verse 47 with me. The Bible says of this church, they were praising God. And I believe we can be helped from those words as we study this text with that as our central theme today. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for each person in this room. And Lord, although we may have brought different needs into this service, I believe that they can be met through your work in our lives. And so as we give ourselves to this time of study and learning, I pray that your spirit would do the work that we each need. And God, as a result of this study, may we become more the church that you would have us to be. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The first time someone used that word to refer to me, I just didn't like the sound of it. When I asked the guys, what is this word, uh, they kind of looked at me and smirked. I, I didn't like the sound of the word. I didn't like the tone they had when they used the word. Now, the word as it was given was given in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish very well. And finally, one of them said, that word means boss. I kind of liked that. I thought, all right, you can call me boss. If that's what that word means, we'll go ahead and go with, with that word. I was working in an aerospace company, and, and a lot of the guys in the shop were Spanish speakers, and although I didn't feel great about uh, the word, when they explained to me this word actually means boss, I happily responded to it for the next several years. And I want you to fast forward to a men's event that the church where I was attending at the time had, and, and there were folks gathered, and there was a break in this event in between sessions, and uh, we had a, a Spanish church in our church, a Spanish ministry, and a bunch of those guys were standing there, and the Spanish pastor uh, was a great guy who I respected and admired a lot, and, and I stood next to him, and I thought this would be the perfect time to share with these guys, I know at least a word of Spanish, and uh, I thought at the same time I could compliment the pastor, and so I called that pastor in the presence of a bunch of the men in the Spanish ministry the word that, uh, that I had been called back in the shop on my job. Now, as soon as I said that word, everybody just froze. So I thought, well, maybe they're impressed with my linguistic ability, you know? So I gladly, proudly, loudly said it again, and those who had frozen did not defrost. And it was about that time I realized that uh, I was on the wrong end of this joke, okay? That pastor laughed. He said, you, do you know what you've said? And I learned that that word was not a term of respect. It was actually a curse word. Uh, that you probably would not use to your pastor's face. I would hope you wouldn't even use it behind his, his back. 
So here's this word that I had heard and that I had used, and I really didn't fully understand the meaning of it. And I think sometimes as Christians, we use words that we don't fully understand. Maybe we have a partial understanding. It's great to the degree we understand, but we, we're not quite putting together the fact that there may be more depth and breadth and beauty to that single word than we've ever considered before. And I believe one of those words is the word worship. For many Christians, worship means music. That's what worship is, is, is music. And, and in a sense, worship is, is music. We refer to a service like this as a worship service. And so we would maybe conclude that worship then is something that happens in a service, that happens at church, and in a sense it is and it does. Some of you have heard me say that worship involves a sacrifice. And, and I'll often say that when we receive an offering, that is a time of worship. And that is absolutely true, for I'm quoting scripture when I share that. And so we could wonder, which is it? And the fact is, worship is all of that. And it's much more than that. The Bible word for worship means to ascribe worth to someone or something. As we think of worship to God, we're ascribing worth to Him and we're, we're exalting His Son, Jesus Christ. One definition for the word worship is to fall flat at someone's feet in an act of surrender and esteem. And in the life of a Christian, we are to worship God in all that we do. Every part of our life should be lived in such a way that it reflects on the honor and esteem that we have for God. And I want to tell you today that one thing you'll find in any church that is really alive and on fire for God is a passionate heart of worship, a desire to acknowledge the greatness of God and to yield our lives to Him. And you see, in a church that's alive, you'll find their collective or their corporate worship will be evident as they sing, as they pray, as they study the Word, as they care for one another, as they work together and give and get the gospel message out. You'll see it in everything they do. And we see it in this first church 2,000 years ago that Jesus had established. As we look to this church that is alive in worship, I want to see several thoughts from this passage that can help us. The first thought I'll share with you today is this. They worship God through a sincere commitment. A sincere commitment. I heard just this week of a man who said of his church, he said, I'm a happy customer. I'm seeking to be complimentary. And I thought, you're missing something. We're not to be consumers. We're to be participants, co-laborers together. In verse 41, we read of of these people coming to faith in Jesus and responding in obedience by being baptized. And it was a massive group on this first Sunday in the history of the church, the inaugural day of the church of Jesus Christ. We read that more than 3,000 people trusted Jesus as their Savior, and they, they followed him. In verse 41, we, we saw that. And verse 41, frankly, is a verse that gets a lot of attention in the Bible, and it should. It's an incredible verse. So they trusted in Jesus for salvation. They immediately then showed their commitment to him through believers' baptism. That was throwing down the gauntlet. Their faith was not some unseen, invisible sentiment on the inside. When they crossed that threshold in believers' baptism in a public way, they were identifying for everybody to see, I believe in Jesus and I'm with these other people that believe in Jesus as well. There was a commitment in verse 42, we see their commitment even more where the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. By the way, how many of you know where the apostles got their doctrine? From Jesus Christ. 
all right? And so they're following the teachings of the apostles that came from Jesus, and the Bible says they had fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers, and later in verse 48, we discover that this new life they had in Christ was lived out daily, every single day in the life of the church. Something was going on. By the way, I'm really excited that every single day of the week, we've got a small group that'll be meeting starting September 30th, and we're seeking to be as biblical as we can possibly be. That was a wonderful byproduct of a full schedule. This church was alive, and we see, that, we see that in the fact that they were committed. They were committed to studying the Bible and living the Bible out in their lives and praying and doing so in their community of faith, and their church was their church family. It's interesting, the Bible does speak of a faith that is not alive. A faith that is not alive. James, the younger brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wrote of this in James chapter 2 and verse 17, he said, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. It's possible to be a church where you have the faith, and yet it's, it's a dead faith. It's not a living faith. And our desire, our prayer is to be a church that's alive. And I want you to know that James here is not teaching that we work somehow to enter into faith. But he is saying, if you have faith, that will lead you to works, works that are consistent with your beliefs. James went on to write in James 2 and verse 20, he said, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. In this church we see they had a sincere commitment. We'll see secondly today, they worship God through truly caring for one another. Truly caring for one another. I want you to notice what we read a moment ago in verse 44. The Bible said, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Now to understand this, we have to understand the context of this. It was an interesting time, a unique moment. People had recently come to Jerusalem upon meeting Jesus as their Savior. They said, let's just stay here. So they're displaced people. Uh, many unique needs to that moment. And so the church got together and said, listen, uh, no one of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. And so they made a decision to consciously care for one another, and they pulled their resources to meet the needs that they have. And I, I love the key word in this verse. To me, the key word in, 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 in verse 44 is the word together. It implies unity. Later in verse 46, the Bible tells us they had singleness of heart. That implies unity. And friends, I want you to know today that when division creeps into a church, it inevitably, invariably loses life, and it quickly becomes a dead church. But where there is unity behind Jesus Christ and the Word of God, there is life that is manifest for others to see. You see, the life we seek to live is the Christ life. And as we commit to him, we'll find that caring for others is a natural byproduct of living the Christ life. It's incongruent for someone to say, I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I just don't care about others who are followers of Jesus as well. And I know that doesn't go together because Jesus in John 13 said this. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. This first century church literally was notorious for their love. The way they cared for each other. It became the thing that people would talk about. They were amazed. In fact, there was even a word in the language of their day that was used to identify the special love that Christians shared for each other. 
Several weeks ago, I've shared this with you, uh, Lisa and I were out of town for my grandmother's funeral, and uh, where, where we stayed, back in Colorado, there's no good cell service and uh, no, no internet where we stayed, and uh, that's one of the things I love so much about it, and, uh, and when we come to town, uh, you know, the messages would pile in, and, and we came in the morning for the funeral, and, and I received word that several families, it seems to come in waves, Several families had gone through a very tough time while Lisa and I were, were there. And uh, it, it was tough getting in touch with people because the coverage kind of comes in and out. And even when I had it, it wasn't very good. And, and uh, I, I felt bad that I wasn't here, you know. I wanted to be there. And when we got back, I got in touch with each of those families. And I, I expressed, hey, man, I'm sorry I was away. Of course, they understood. But I said, I just wanted you to know that uh, uh, Lisa and I care. And, and this type of thing I want you to know in each case that I'm thinking of I was told something like pastor no problem at all several people from our small group came by called some of them said people in our small group they, they even brought by meals to help us in our time of need and I was so gratified as a pastor to say that's exactly how it's supposed to work listen I'm not some hired gun that the church has so that I can be Johnny on the spot to everybody who has a need that would really limit what a church can do we've got to understand we're in this together we've all got a role mine is not more or less important than your role we're here as a church body we're a family and I just love it when we say hey I want to commit I'm going to become a part of my church family I want to be a part of even a small group where I can know and be known and it's a beautiful thing in our time of need to have people rushing to our side saying, how can we help? How can we serve? They truly cared for one another. You see, they considered worship and care as two things that go together. It's important for us to take time to look out for each other. A church that is alive is a church that is sincerely committed to Christ and truly caring for one another. Here's the third thought I'll share with you today. I want you to see they worshiped God by cooperating with God's family. They worshiped God by cooperating with God's family. And as I said earlier, the context of this passage gives us some insight into the uniqueness of the moment. Uh, it was a humanitarian crisis. And so due to that fact, uh, many of the people who had been saved and baptized and were part of the church, they had no jobs, they had no homes, uh, they're, they're displaced people. And so the church in response give a good lesson to all of us. In verse 45, the Bible says here again, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And the thought I want us to take from this, uh, they, they got together and they cooperated. They cooperated. They said, this problem's too big for any one of us. But if we all got together, we could do something really special here. Uh, I've often shared with our church that teaching and preaching really is a cooperative effort. I know it comes across more as a monologue, one person standing up front and saying all the words, but it is to be a two-way street. I'm to do my best to study and pray with the help of God to convey the message from the word that we're studying in that moment. And you guys are to be no less involved. You're to be prayed up and ready to receive. And so uh, I'm sharing the truth and there are to be hearts that are ready to receive the truth and to study the word and make sure that what you're receiving is, is accurate. But, but I want you to know, not only does there need to be a cooperation in a room like this for something like communicating the word of God to be done, I, I want you to know there has to be cooperation even just in me i've read it takes 72 muscles to verbally communicate 
My typical sermon, in writing at least, has about 5,000 words. So my mind and my mouth have to get together if there's anything that's going to come out that's discernible at all. Beyond that, so much of our communication is, is physical, gestures and, and posture, and all of that adds intensity or maybe adds a, a moment of relaxation, but uh, our communication is so much nonverbal, it's, it's body language, and so that means my mind, my mouth, and my manners all have to get together if the message is going to come out in a way that is cohesive. Well, friends, listen, if, if the body of our local church is the function, it really does require us to come together and to share the mind of Jesus Christ, and to use our influence for good. Churches that are alive have made the decision to cooperate with one another. God forbid we'd be a church that has a million different things we dabble in. We need to be a church that says, listen, if this is true from the word of God and it's what we're doing, I'm involved, I'm engaged, count me in. I, I want to be a part of the work that our church family's doing. Amos put it this way in Amos 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer to that is no. No, they can't. There's no progress without cooperation. And we're not all going to be the exact same. We've talked about the difference between unity and uniformity. We're all very different, and in a sense, that makes us much stronger. But I'm saying today we must determine to pr pursue Jesus and his purpose as Paul once wrote of our calling as a church in Philippians 1, he said that we as the church are to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Living churches strive together. Dead churches strive with one another. It becomes a competitive thing rather than completing one another. So a church that is alive, they have a commitment to Christ, they care for one another, they cooperate. Finally, I want us to see today they worshiped God by praising him. They worshiped God by praising him. Let's look at verse 47. The Bible says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And, and I love the fact that the Bible makes the point, it must be important, that this was a praising church. And so for us to get an application from that fact Again, we need to grasp fully what does it mean to praise. And, and first, I want you to know the word praise here means to lift up the greatness. And when it says they were praising God, we're told this church lifted up the greatness of God. When they gathered together in their study, they would lift up the greatness of God. And I'm sure this was done as they would have times in singing, of course, in their study. But there's a larger picture here found in this word praising. I want you to know this word is what they call a present active word. A present active. It means it was present in their lives at all times, and it was active through their lives at all times. The point is, praise was not something relegated to a moment in the first part of the service, or to just this time, or that time, or in this place, or that place, or with this person, or that person. The Bible tells us that praise was present with them always, and it was an active part of their life. Everything they did, every conversation they had, everybody they met, they were looking for ways as they praised God to lift up up the work of of his greatness and point people to him read a story in the paper a few weeks ago about a cab driver in new york and uh, he picked up a couple guys and they were in the back and they were just talking about sports and the cab driver was just a fanatic of sports listening to sports radio all day long and they're talking about the jets and the giants two football teams in new york you know and 
And so he chimed in and started schooling them. He's an expert, you know. Cab drivers and barbers know everything, okay? And uh, so he was duly informed from all his time on sports radio, and he's explaining to them, you know, why this team's better than that team and this player better than that player. And, and in the course of his conversation, he, as he's driving these two guys, he says, but I'm going to tell you right now who the greatest quarterback of all time is. John Elway, that's what he said. Now, he's wrong, by the way. It's Joe Montana, but I digress. He, he said, the greatest quarterback of all time, John Elway. He's the best, man. He's my favorite player. Oh, he, he was just incredible. You could put him on any team, and that team would have been successful. John Elway's the best. And as he's saying this kind of stuff, one of the guys in the back said, if you ever met John Elway, do you think you'd recognize him? Well, that's a weird question. So the cab driver turned around, sure enough, seated in the back seat of his taxi cab, John Elway, his hero. Well, of course, that led to a picture and uh, a story that that cab driver will tell people for the rest of his life. But, you know, when I read that story, I really thought of a praising Christian and a praising church. You see, we just have to live with the awareness of God's goodness and greatness. And when God's your favorite player, to use the analogy, you're going to find ways to insert that into conversations and relationships and situations and, and scenarios. And as we do that, it is pleasing to the Lord. I love that thought. Praise is powerful. Praise will get our eyes off ourselves. And of course, selfishness leads to disappointment and discouragement. And even it can lead to depression. David wrote of this in Psalm 150 in verse 2. He said, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So praise is, is directed toward God of, of necessity. It, it removes our eyes from self and puts them on the Lord. I want you to know that praise is powerful because it brings about a sense of humility. When you look at the grandeur and splendor of God, it puts things in perspective. In Psalm 95 verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. And when you believe in a God like that, it doesn't make a small and a woe is me sense, but it, it says, God, you sure are awesome. It's a humbling thing to worship a holy God. Praise is powerful because it causes the enemy to flee from our lives. Second Chronicles 20, the Bible says, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. The Bible literally says here these people were in a bad way. It looked as though there were no way out. But they said, listen, things do look bleak. I, I, I don't see a silver lining in this dark cloud yet, but God is still God, and he is still great, and I'm going to praise him anyhow on good days and, and tough days. And here they are in this moment. It seemed like everything was bleak and they praised God and in the midst of their praise God moved in and brought them liberty and freedom praise causes the enemy to flee I want you to know that praise can push out the negativity that so easily can settle in our hearts and rob us of the joy of a life of faith in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 the Bible says by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name Friends, I'm telling you today, a church that is alive will be a praising church. So now you all are evaluating me by what kind of church I'm pastoring. So let me rephrase that. A Christian who's living a vibrant Christian life will be a praising, worshiping Christian. It'll be present and it'll be active. Praising. And when we praise Jesus in that way, 
He'll be the focus of every song, of every sermon, of every service, and he will be the focus and focal point of our lives. Some years ago, uh, Lisa convinced and connived and tricked and bribed and got me to start going to the gym. And um, that's a humbling thing. Because the older I get, the better I used to be at everything. And, uh, you know, I used to be world-class athlete, probably rivaled Arnold Schwarzenegger for muscles, you know. At least in my mind, I look back and I think, ah, it wasn't too bad back in the day, you know. And uh, that's, guys, we're all a little bit weird. We have a way of, you know, doing that. But uh, at any rate, so I got to the gym and it's like time for push-ups. And I was humiliated how few I could actually do. And so when you get started, it's like, well, all right, this is my baseline. This is where I'm at. This is embarrassing. I won't tell you what the number is, but it was a low number. And so part of every workout included a time for push-ups. And uh, sure enough, you know, uh, those two I could get initially, got to three and a few more. And I started making gains. And you feel good about that. It's, it's fun when you can see tangible results but but then I kind of hit a ceiling and that happens if you go to the gym you know exactly what I'm talking about you'll just have times where it seems like you're cutting time off your run or adding weights to a lift whatever it might be and you kind of hit a ceiling and I was so desperate to get more reps in my push-ups so that number would get bigger and bigger and bigger that uh, I found that I was getting a bit sloppy and I was going fast and and uh, it just wasn't happening anymore and I said you know what enough of that I'm not going to focus on number necessarily. I'm just going to focus on form. So I started going really slow. And I did far less. Because it's more difficult to do a slow push-up than a quick one. But I started seeing tangible gains. I won't take my coat off to show you, but it's impressive what's been happening. When I stopped focusing on growth, and started focusing on form, the growth came. As a pastor, I truly want to see our church grow. There's always a cynic and a skeptic in every crowd. I'm not going to convince you, so for the rest of you, I'll say it this way. I want to do that because people matter. Jesus loves people more than anything. And I think the vast majority would say, hey, I'm with you in that. We want to share the gospel so people can receive Jesus and the body of Christ can, can grow. It's not about making a name for our church or, or any of that. It's about lifting up Jesus. That's the heart of worship. But I've learned that growth is not our church's goal. Form is our goal. What do you mean by form? I mean, let's get back to the first century. This church that Jesus started and inaugurated and launched. I want us to get in the book and say, what is it that he had them do? 
And let's not worry about the growth part of it. The Bible did say there it was Jesus that added daily to the church such as should be saved. They said, we just want to get together and we want to identify with Jesus and baptism when we've been saved and we want to spend time with one another. We want to look out for one another. We are committed to this thing. We're not just playing or dabbling or in or out. We're in this with our hearts and, and we want to worship God presently, actively. And as they lived a life of form, the growth was the byproduct of it all. And friends, I'm saying today, when we seek to simply live a life of worship, we will be the compelling body of Jesus we've been called to be. And He can draw all men unto Himself. After all of these verses demonstrating how this church was alive and living a life of worship, we read that Jesus looked at that church and sent people their way daily daily you know when you get a bunch of christians a bunch of christians who are committed to god who are caring toward one another who cooperate in the work it's not a battle of agendas we are in agreement with christ in the word cooperating in his work and we're praising god every chance we get you'll have a church that enjoys the blessing of god the byproduct of his life so as we seek to focus more on health as a church than growth, let me ask you, are you alive in your Christian life? I'm not asking today if you're alive in Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're alive in Jesus. But I'm asking, would James say, you know, your faith is more like a dead faith. You, you say that you believe, but there's just no evidence you say, Pastor, that's a pretty upfront question. I know it's kind of similar to the one the Apostle Paul asked when he said, prove yourselves whether you be in the faith. He said, every now and then it's good for us to just kind of take a look in the proverbial spiritual meal, uh, mirror and say, God, uh, a- a- am, I, am I in need of fresh life, renewal, revival, which means new life in me? Are you living in a live Christian life? I think that'll be seen as we live a life of worship, as we live a life that is a witness that God can do that in us. Our Father, we're thankful today for the clarity, the brutal honesty with which you teach us in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you don't mince words, but you tell us what it is we need. And Lord, we know that ultimately what we need is the result that only you can give, and so we humbly come to you. We thank you for the church, the organism created by you, purchased by your blood for our benefit and for the benefit of those who've not even come to know you yet. God, open our hearts. I pray that we wouldn't be passive, consumer mindset type of of people, but Lord, we'd be fully devoted followers, people that live for your glory and love those around us. Open our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed today, our eyes are closed. And we've gotten in the book together this morning, and I hope now that we'll let the book get in us.